It's, uh, it's just a really cool to be part of this church and see us impacting a nation so far away, 22 other churches. That's just awesome. And I appreciate just being a part of this family. I am finishing a sermon that we started about three weeks ago. If you guys remember, it was, you can go on our website and actually pull it off of messages, podcasts, where it says how to maximize your Bible time or reading or something like that. It's a really good sermon. And so what we're going to do is we're, we're using that first part, and now we're tearing back and doing sort of a behind-the-scenes look at how to put together a Bible message. I love these behind-the-scenes movies that they have where you have like Star Wars or something, and they talk about the planet that was so far away, but really it's right out here in our desert, and they have the whole other planet there, or Lord of the Rings, and just seeing how they make these movies that look so amazing from the simplest things. And so we want to take four concepts that we want to use here and go behind the scenes on what it is to put a Bible passage together. Those four concepts are in your notes. You can read them there. It's observation. Uh, we see interpretation, correlation, and application. And if you have your notes, pull them out. We'll go right through it. And then on the side of your um, rows here, there are some pens where you can follow along and write vicious notes as well as offering and name tags and things like that. So I want to open up. When I first got this Bible, I love this Bible. It's one of my favorite Bibles I've ever owned because it's, it's a wide margin Bible. And when I first opened it up, I, was, I, I could start writing in all of these margins and putting all kinds of notes and thoughts and prayer requests and just, and just talk to God in the margins of my Bible which sounds like another worship song that's going to be coming out in the next couple of weeks. We, when I first opened it, I opened it to Proverbs chapter 8. I don't know why it wasn't something profound. It probably was from God, but I think it was more because it was right in the middle, and I just kind of... Whoosh. And Proverbs chapter 8, as I was reading it, sort of jumped out at me right away. And I read these first couple of verses where it says, Does not wisdom call? And understanding lift up her voice on top of the heights beside the way where the past meets, she takes her stand. Beside the gates at the opening of the city, at the entrance of the door, she cries out. And I wrote in the margin, my first words that I penned here was, who in the world is she? I've never even heard of that before. Where did this come from? And it started to really push me a little bit further of, of wanting to see what God was doing here and start using my Bible. In the observation phase, we just start with what does it say? In, our, in the first sermon, we talked about the analogy of butterfly versus a bee when it comes to reading your word. The butterfly is a very beautiful animal. You see it fly around from bush to bush, from tree to tree, and you just watch the beauty of the butterfly as opposed to the bee, and the bee is a, a worker bee going from, like, just going from flower to flower, very steady. And every October, all the butterflies die, but the bee lives year after year. And the analogy was, when it comes to our reading, many people read it like a butterfly. They go and they jump around, and they kind of just enjoy different pieces of it, as opposed to the bee. The bee is when you start to pull out your pencil and write pull out your pen and begin to ask questions and are, are on nowadays open up your computer and begin typing just what God is doing and moving through it like a bee so that you will last the distance. This observation phase is pulling out your pencil and begin writing what God is doing and observing through the text. 
the interpretation phase, this is where you get to what does it mean? We want to go from observing it, writing about it, to figuring out what it means. And a lot of people would say when it comes to the Bible, it means what it says, and it says what it means. And it sounds really good. That's a really good statement, but it's not quite right. Because there are so many in our language metaphors and analogies and terminology that we use that doesn't mean what it says. Like if I was backstage and somebody was pulling my leg before I came out here, and then somebody goes a thousand years from now, reads your notes about pulling my leg, and they pull it out of this archive and they say, man, this guy, before he was coming out, somebody was trying to keep him from the stage. They were pulling him back. We need to be like that. That's what this is all about. And it's like, no, that's not what it was about at all. You totally missed it. Pulling my leg means he was, somebody was joking with me backstage before I walked out. And as the pastor might be interpreting it, he might say, you know what, it's more than that. It's more than joking. Pulling my leg, it actually means it's sort of tricking you and making you think something when it's really something else. There's more depth to it than an actual joke. And so you have, to, you have to go and you have to see those metaphors, those analogies, the context of what's going on. In the English language, if I use the word pen, the pen word, there's 60 different meanings for the word pen. So I could be talking about a rolling pin, a bowling pin, pin the tail on the donkey. If we were talking about wrestling, it could mean I'm pinning somebody to the ground. You have to know what is the context. Interpretation is when you start reading the word and digging deep to what is going on here, what's going on around here, so that we can really pull out the deeper and very important meanings in the Bible. The correlation phase is when you go a little step further and you, you want to get other verses to explain what you're reading. The Bible actually tells us that we need to year, use clear passages to help us with the unclear ones. The amazing thing about this Bible is it was written by 66 different authors. And there are, I'm sorry, 40 authors. There's 66 books written by 40 different authors over a time period of 1,500 years. And it was written in two different languages, two to three different languages. So when you start to put that together and realize that in all of this, in all those different authors, all these different books in different time periods, there is a centralized message that God was using to show us through various people, various backgrounds, their socioeconomic status. He used so many ways to show us so much. And yet the centralized message coming out is the same. In fact, one of the best Bibles I have is my children's Bible that I read with my kids at night. I go in there and I read this Bible and it's, it's so funny because it's like these four pages to explain a very big story. And I think, man, why aren't my kids asking more questions? Because I have a lot of questions when I read these stories. These stories are crazy. And then as I'm reading it, it always at the very end, in the last paragraph, it pulls together how this story connects to Jesus Christ and what's happening here in the foreshadowing or going back. It's, it's amazing. It's the best Bible I have, and it's my children's Bible. But using that stage of correlation is so key in our walk with God. You've got to figure out what was God saying in all of the verses about this same subject. And you have to use in the correlation phase the lens of Jesus Christ. Does this make sense 
with my relationship with Jesus Christ, who he was. You have to put it through that lens because if you don't, you start to read scripture without a lens of having any personal relationship with Christ and you're pulling things out that that are so far from what it really says. The best example of this was when I was in a woman's studies class back at Fresno State, which it wasn't the class I thought it would be, not nearly as fun as I thought it would be. And I'm in this class and the teacher says, very flippantly as she's talking about some other subject, yeah, the first case of child abuse is actually when Abraham takes Isaac up and sacrifices him before God. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> it just blew my mind. And then she just kept going. And so I didn't, it wasn't one of those moments where I stood up and I said, hold on, hold on. Let me tell you. No, I was, I was like, what? I don't even, I just, I was gone. I lost it. I, just, I didn't understand what happened there. And then I realized, you know what? That makes sense. I get what they're, getting, what they're saying there. I, I understand what they did because when you read that by itself, okay, I could see you pulling that thought. But when you start running the lenses through and understanding who Christ was, understanding the foreshadowing that that was for Christ coming later, understanding what was told to Abraham by God directly, knowing that there would be many, many children, and it didn't make sense that killing this one at this time, there's so much more happening. But you have to know context, and you would have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ to truly understand what's happening there and why that moment would happen. That is the correlation phase. And then application. What are you going to do with it? You have to do something with the word. Otherwise, basically, you're just trying to be very smart. I'm proud of you. You're a smart person. But until you start doing the word, It's never going to become alive. The behind the scenes is when people start acting out what the Bible tells them, that's when they see the impact of what Christ really says. So this is what we want to do. I want to do this with Proverbs 8 and go back. What does it say? And as I observed Proverbs 8, this is what I wrote. About verse 10, it says, Take my instruction and not silver, and knowledge rather than the choicest gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare with her. So again, we're talking about this her. And I write down, whatever this is, whatever's going on here, it's really good. Again, deep thoughts by David Hopper. It's really, really good. It's better than silver, better than gold, better than jewels. So I'm translating that. I mean, it's better than currency. It's better than money. It's better whatever I value in this world. This is better. So I really want to figure out what this is, and I kept going. I got to verse 17, and it says, I love those who love me, and those who diligently seek will find me. And I got excited because I realized it's not something that I have to, like, dig down or I have to find, and it's a hide-and-seek game with God. If I seek it, merely try and gain this wisdom, the process, the journey is actually the reward. So if I do this, if I seek it, I will gain it. I will get it. And so I wrote down here, it's a promise. He promised it to me. So I'm going to hold him to that promise that if I'm seeking it, I will find it. I kept going. From everlasting, I was established. It's verse 23. From the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth. And this made me pause because Whatever we're talking about here, I realize it's before time. And I thought, wait a second. 
from what I have read before, there's only a few things that were before time, before the foundations of the earth. It goes on, before the earth and the fields, before the heavens, before the skies, before the sea. It just keeps going and going. And I thought, what are we talking about here? This wisdom, this her, she was there from the very beginning. I need to figure this out. And I get to verse 35 and it says, for he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. And that's when it hit me. I realized there's something really deep happening here because I know this one. I don't know much, but I know this one. If I accept Christ as my personal savior, I will spend eternity with him. I know that that is my, my, my finding life, the life that's being spoken of. And so if I find this, I find life, they must be talking about Jesus Christ. So if Jesus Christ is what I've been talking about this whole time, yeah, it makes sense. He's there from the beginning. He's there before the foundations of the world, but he's also wisdom. And the wisdom that I gain is actually through my Bible as I'm reading it. So if I put all this together, my Christ, my wisdom, my word are all one. And I've figured out that I can be as close to Christ as I want. It's as merely as close as my next time in which I open the Bible and begin to read because he comes off the page. As Calvin spoke about being a window, this book is so powerful, but it's a window to the author. And as you look through it, you realize the relationship with him is as close as my next time in the word. Every time I feel like I don't feel him, I don't know where he is. I don't know how to get there. It's as close as opening the Bible and beginning to read. And that was so powerful. But that's just observations. Interpreting is going a step further. So now I want to spend time interpreting this. What, what does it mean? Well, if I'm going to go deeper and deeper into this, one of the ways I would do it is to begin comparing all the translations. We live in a very unique time period in which there are so many translations, which for a while I thought, do you really need that many translations of the Bible? I don't even understand that. But as I studied more and more, I realized there's so much going on in every one of these books in which they are interpreting the words spoken in another language. And whenever you try to interpret a word in another language, you usually use a phrase. No word matches up directly. So phrases are usually used. And in the Greek and the Hebrew, if you go back to the original Bibles, you have 11,000 words. Most English Bibles are 8,000 words. So several, there's, there's a lot that is being lost in translation. So if the more interpretations you're pulling in, the more deeper and deeper you're able to interpret exactly what's going on. For instance, the word love. In English, the word love I, I love my wife. She's amazing. You know what else I love? I love hot dogs. Oh, man, I hope I can get a hot dog this afternoon. That doesn't really make a lot of sense, right? Those, are, those should be two different words. My love of my wife and the love of hot dogs. I love God and I love puppies. She probably shouldn't be in the same context, right? The word love we have thrown across every sort of meaning possible. Whereas the Greek is a technical language. And then you go into the Greek and you see all kinds of different meanings of the word love. 
You've got the eros love, which is that erotic sexual love. You have the storgy love, which is a strong, passionate love. You've got filial love, which is a brotherly love for each other, like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, actually comes from that. You have agape love, which is an unconditional love. So all four of those loves are used in the Bible, in the Greek, and we just throw the word love there. So when you begin to interpret, you're digging deep and saying, okay, it's the word love. I got a good idea what that means, but let's take it a step further and figure out which love is it and go further and further. And that is where we start to pull the behind the scenes of understanding the Bible in a deep and powerful way. I'll save you some time, probably about two or three hours of all the different versions. There's two major things they all pull out of the same chapter. One, if you find this wisdom, you will find life. That is in every single version. If you find this wisdom, you will find life. And I'm talking about the eternal, heavenly, forever life. If you find this wisdom, you find that. And the second major theme that pops out is, if you find this wisdom, you will receive favor from the Lord. Now, this, this version talks about the, the jewelry and the, the gold and the silver and the jewels, all that stuff that we value. It's saying that if you will find me and my wisdom, it's so much more than all of that all the money, all the currency, all the things you value in this world, it's more powerful than any of those things if you seek my wisdom in this word. You will gain far more favor from me. It's so awesome when we go there. Now we take that interpretation level and we begin to correlate it with other verses. Are there other verses that will back Jesus Christ being wisdom? Being those two things being the same thing. Let's see if we can find that. We can go to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, where it says, But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Jesus Christ came to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So you're allowed to boast. One of the few verses that tell you, yeah, you can be boastful as long as you're boastful in the things of the Lord. The Lord gives you these things, this wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. One of those things is wisdom. So we can put together wisdom and Christ are the same. We can go to Colossians, not 2 Colossians because that doesn't exist, but 1 Colossians chapter 2 says that their hearts may be encouraged having been knit together in love and attained to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding. So first we hear about the wealth that comes from understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery. I love the word mystery. You would actually find that all over the Bible. We talked about an ant trying to describe the internet. An ant describing the internet is not possible because the bandwidth isn't even there to understand the question. When we start to try and explain who God is, our bandwidth is only so much. The mystery of God is the continual pursuit of this wisdom. It goes on and says, that is Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You'll find as you continue to seek through this word, the wisdom of God, you realize how dumb you are. I put it like that for my own sake. 
the smarter I read, the more or smarter I get trying to read, the dumber I realize I am because it goes deeper and deeper and the room gets bigger and bigger of how big God is. It's an awesome journey that's going to last a lifetime. So is that putting together those two things again, Christ and wisdom? Yes, can we see those things at the very beginning of time? Yeah, we can go to John 1.1. 1, 1. Very simply says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It puts together not only those two being one, it puts them at the beginning before the foundations of the world. So correlating this is really fun because actually there is a ton of verses that will put all this together. In fact, you could take a concordance. Now, in the old days, I had this big, fat, strong concordance. It was like this big, and whenever I was making a sermon, I'd open it up and be like, and dust would flow from it because it was so big. Okay, well, and so as I was looking at the different words, I would have looked up the word wisdom. And in that word for wisdom, you would see all of the verses in the entire Bible that talk about the word wisdom. Does anyone know what a concordance is? A few of you? Now, you can do this on your computer. This is very helpful. I'm glad I'm telling you this, since only four of you have actually heard of a concordance. If you go on a computer now, you just take your finger and you can click over a word as you're studying And next to the word, all of the different verses of the Bible will pop up about the same subject. That is correlation. You're putting all these other scriptures together with the one you're reading to make something that is unclear, clear. That's what God does with this book. You can use the study Bible. Study Bible uses a small concordance in it. Again, it can be on your computer. You can do it very quickly. Or if you own a study Bible, you'll see it at the bottom, all the things that connect. You can do it with words like debt and success and And anything, throw all of it in there, and you're correlating what God is speaking to you. That is the -the behind-the-scenes stuff of Bible studies. And then you have to put the filter of Jesus Christ in there. Does this make sense in the filter of knowing who Jesus is? Well, does it kind of sound like a parable in which he slowly opened up pieces until the end, and the light bulb went bing? Like, oh, I see what you're doing. Did Jesus ever talk like that? Yeah, pretty much everything he said. He was always getting you to follow along, and then you're all, oh, yeah, good one, Jesus. He did that everywhere. Did Jesus ever talk about the things of the world that you think are important aren't nearly as important as what I have for you? Did he ever say anything like that? Anybody? (laughs) Yes. The answer is yes. He said it all over the place. So when I run Jesus through this filter, was he there at the beginning? Did he speak like this? Would he say these things? Yeah, he would. You're correlating these, and you're making it make sense. That's really good, good stuff. But if you don't do the last one, application, then all you're really doing is you're like most people in the world, asking tons of questions, getting smarter and smarter, but not realizing the relationship that that requires you to apply this. James 1.22 says, don't deceive yourself. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. As I read this, I see some very specific things we need to be doing. Number one, I read that very last verse in 35. For he who finds me finds life. Have I found him? You have to start there. 
Have I found him? And it's not like he's hiding behind the, the rocks and we're playing a game or something. He doesn't do that at all. The Pharisees, they walked and they knew the Bible. They had it memorized. And they didn't see Jesus Christ speaking to them, literally standing right in front of them. You can read it. You can interpret it. You can correlate it. But if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can miss him standing right next to you. Have I found him? I want you to be honest with that question. I'm not going to pull you up front or do anything weird. But at the bottom of your notes, there's a response card. If you're not there, you haven't found them. I want you to write that down. Say, I have not found him. I don't know this God like you're talking about. I want to. I wish I did, but I haven't found him. Write that on there. Drop it into the offering bucket as it goes by. And we'll call you this week and walk through it. Just begin there. And if you just need to be honest and you say, I haven't found him, but I really don't want you to call me, we won't call you. (laughs) We'll pray for you from a distance. But I want you to be honest with yourself. Have I found him? Secondly, as I read this, I see this message of do I value this more than money come up a lot. And I see it a lot of places in the Bible. Because we value things here. We go to work and we'll spend 8 to 12 hours for money. Why? Because we're trying to survive. It's difficult. We live in a very affluent area. We have to work a lot. But am I valuing this more than that? Because we spend a lot of time with this little survival, this tiny part, this speck of life, when God tells us that there's this really, really long eternal life that's kind of important too. So I have to value that time of working But do I also value this just as much? So I don't want to convict you. I just want to challenge you. Do you value it more than money? If so, then just start. Start reading it. Start spending time with it daily. Open it up and just start. You don't have to think about your past. Just start today. Say, yes, I'm going to value this more than money because I'm starting to realize it's more important than money. And the third thing that really pulls out is I I read it in the very first verse. Does not wisdom call and understanding lift up her voice? As I read that, I say, do I listen to her cry out? There's something really odd happening the more I get into this book. I'm starting to hear it talk to me. Yeah, I I know it sounds weird, but I'm hearing it talk. As I wake up in the morning, I'm hearing it cry out and say, spend time with me. And I go, yeah, I want to. I do. Or as I'm going to sleep, I hear it crying out like, hey, Bible I know it sounds really odd and funny, but I think some of you know what I'm talking about. The deeper you get into this relationship with Christ, this book and the wisdom starts to cry out to you, and you hear it daily as you're walking and living out these truths. It's kind of fun, kind of spooky, but it's good stuff. So this is behind the scenes, and if I go back to the beginning of this her, my very first question I spent a lot of time studying that question. And when I studied that question, I went online. I read all the different stuff about it. I read about Sophia and the Greek goddess of, of the, it was crazy. It was about phallic symbols and this and that. And I thought, wow, they've really gone a long ways with this. And entire religions have been started because of this her. And so the more I studied, I actually called a couple mentors of mine and talked to them. I said, have you ever studied this? Because it's really weird stuff. And they go, Yeah. I have, and we found out it actually means nothing at all. I'm a what? 
Like, yeah, it doesn't mean anything. You see, the, the Proverbs, it's a prose. It was written as poetry. And when you write in poetry, you use a lot of feminine terms. And so as you translate feminine terms, you would use them, but that's not the point of what was happening. So I was just, I was like, oh, that would have helped a lot of people. You should go online. Anyway, as you go behind the scenes with this stuff, I want to encourage you. You might even disagree with things I've said. Great. Go spend time in the word. Observe, interpret, correlate, and then apply it to your life. Let's pray. God, you are truly speaking through your word. And the more we realize how much you are, Lord, I pray that it would cause us to have action. Use us as a church, a family. Thank you for the people that are here, Lord. And I pray that those who are seeking you and have not found you, that today would be a great new day. God, we thank you for this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.